0: Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Phillips Life Group podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. These are lessons from a young couple's Sunday morning life group at Bellevue Baptist Church. My name is Chris Phillips, your host and teacher for our life group. And our young couple's life group consists of engaged, newlywed, or new parent couples in their 20s and early 30s. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. if you can. But if you can't, thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisUT or check us out on Facebook at Phillips Life Group. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy the lesson. I get to the point where I'm like, you know, and and I don't, part of it is because I get to the point where I go, I realize all of those sorts of things. I keep up. I did a political science background. I love all that kind of stuff. But, like, I've got a really big confidence in God that everything's going to be okay no matter who is put in the White House. And, and so I don't want to hinge my livelihood on who's in the White House. And and so that's part of the reason I just get like, man, I, I don't waste my time thinking about it because it's almost like when I waste night and day and everything on it and worry, because really it's worry and anxiety, which Scripture says do not be anxious about Oh, anything. So that pretty much encompasses what? Everything. So, you know, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I don't want to just sit here and put all anxieties and fears about the hope and future of my kids and all of these sorts of things. I just want to rest in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean I don't do anything. That doesn't mean I just sit back and go. God didn't give us free will to just sit back and do it. So I'm not saying that. But I get to the point where I'm just like, okay, let's move on. And uh, and then I also get to the point, which is what we're going to talk about today, where I just go, you know what? We wouldn't be in this place that we're in if Christians would just be Christians. If we'd stop sitting on our rear ends and hoping that everything changes because of a political system, and if we got off of our rear ends and started sharing the gospel, discipling people, and doing those sorts of things. And so that's probably why I get more fed up is because I'm going, you know what? We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our own apathy towards God's word and living it out. Christians. I'm not even talking about lost people. I'm not talking about anything else. I'm just saying if Christians would stop being apathetic to being obedient to God's word, we wouldn't be in the state that we're in. I, I feel that. I know that. I genuinely, genuinely feel that if we were doing what we were called and commanded to do, we wouldn't be where we are right now. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today through Ezra. Ezra, Libby. I'll be in my eyes. <laughs> Anybody else grow up just, like, singing those songs? I didn't know them. (laughs) I felt like a fool, you know. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Lib, would you open us in a word prayer? Yes,
1: that's great. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, although your word was written many years ago, that we can still apply it today. Um, I pray today as Chris speaks, it would be your words and
0: not his, Lord, and that um, we would each be able to uh, take nuggets uh, to apply to our life. Love you and praise you, Jesus. Okay, so with all this being said, Transgender restrooms, Trump, Obama, Clinton, you name it, homosexual marriages, all these sorts of things. I think we'd be lying to say that we haven't stood back and said, man, did, has God forgotten us? Right? As what's going on here? Where are we? Somebody share about a time where you thought God had maybe forgotten about you.
1: Our adoption story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, That's a good one. And because you get so wrapped up in it, you feel like it's so there that you forget that you're actually not the one in control. And so you forget, oh, okay, he's there. Who else? That's a good one. One more. Our group kind of changed the word forgotten, <laughs> but said that... Several of us had had times where we had walked away from the Lord. And so it's just that he wasn't right present where we were. But it, a lot of times it was our doing, not necessarily and, God's doing. And sometimes when we walk away, it's because we feel like God has forgotten us. Like, I don't need him. Or frustration. Right? Frustration. Maybe he's forgotten us. Maybe he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't see the things that, that I see. He doesn't see it the way I see it. Right? Anybody ever played God? Just You know, if you would have just done this, Lord it would have been a lot better. I Don't look at me like that. Like, I've done... I mean, we've all done that. If, you, if this would have happened or if this would have happened, I really feel like it could have gone that way. And we forget. Even, I'm sure, in that situation with Logan's adoption deal. We forget that it's God's plan. We forget that He's the one in control. We just want it to go according to the way we like it to go. And we just really forget that. So, uh, here we are. We're in Ezra 1. Ezra 1.1. God's faithfulness is our strength. Somebody... Wayne, since you volunteered, will you read Ezra 1.1? Can you see that?
1: Yes, there you go. It go right
0: read Ezra 1.1 for me.
1: In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of the kingdom and also put it in writing.
0: Okay, so here we are. We're at Ezra. Uh, the Israelites at this point have been in exile for about 70 years, okay? So they're returning from this exile period, 70 years uh, from Babylonia, right? From Babylon. And so right here, you have in the first year of of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. So what's unique about this is Cyrus isn't a believer. He's not someone following God's command. He's not someone raised up in his father's footsteps and seeking after his father's footsteps of David and things that you see all in Chronicles and Kings and all these sorts of things. He's the king of Persia. Okay. And so God has sent a word to the king, Cyrus, through who? Jeremiah. Okay, so what do we know about Jeremiah? Anybody? Prophet? He was the prophet at the time that Israel fell. Okay. What's probably one of the most quotable Jeremiah chapter and verses that we really take out of context all the time? 29. Huh? Verse 11. Chapter 29, verse 11. So, I'll start in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So this text in Ezra, Jeremiah to King Cyrus is what? It's the fulfillment of that prophecy. So this kind of coffee cup verse that we have for God, I know I know the plans I have for you, right? Anybody ever talk about that and the plans that you have for me are bringing me out of exile back to fully knowing the Lord? We usually use that in what? Oh, okay, it's okay. Josh, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're plans for hope and plans for prosperity and all these sorts of things, right? That's what we use that verse for. But this is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, to Cyrus, a non-believer, to the Israelite people, that they're coming out of exile and that they're going to be restored fully to him. And so as we kind of talk about this today, uh, Trump, terrible person, right? Awful. Can't believe he's even going to be where he's going to be and uh, nominated for the GOP and all this sort of. Hillary Clinton, everything she's gone through. Terrible person, right? Awful. Obama, terrible person, awful. Transgender, you name it, awful. Well, in everybody else's eyes, so is King Cyrus, right? King of Persia. He's part of the people that captured them and sent these people into exile. But yet, the God that we serve, the God that draws us to him, can use who? Anyone to draw people back to him, right? You see, our strength, our hope, our all of these things that we want to put everything in is not in what we can do, it's not in the kings that we have or anybody there, but it's in God's faithfulness to us, okay? Does anybody know God's faithful? Logan, was he faithful? Even if you didn't, he was still faithful, Right? Any of the other situations when we turned, was God still faithful when we turned our back on him? Absolutely. Was God faithful to draw us to him in all these other situations? Absolutely. Our strength is in God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is our strength, okay? So we just read those things. So let me ask you, what comes first here? God's grace toward us or our repentance? Or in Jeremiah 29.11, it's God's grace. He knows the plans for them. He extends all of this to draw these people back fully to him, is what he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, 12. So God's grace comes before our repentance towards him, right? Anybody? Did it think of your own salvation? Was it just your repentance or God's drawing you to him? Right? It's God's drawing you to him, and then your repentance and then your belief in Him, and then you're confessing that with your mouth, that He's Lord and Savior. Why is that important? Why, why is that even... Who cares, Chris? Yeah. So we're saved
1: through
0: grace. Yeah. Right? That's important enough for us to understand because no matter if we want our country to turn back to whatever else... You know, we want our country to turn back, absolutely. But we don't have to have our country repenting of what it is before we start that process, right? God draws us back to him. He knows the plans to bring us out of a terrible state that we're in with everything that we have going on, right? Uh, If not, by God's grace, any of the leaders that can put there. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but uh, Proverbs, I believe it's 24, uh, it says that let the king's hearts be like channels of water and God can turn them and direct them wherever he wishes. Non-believing king of Persia. God uses him to put this decree to rebuild the temple after 70 years from the exile. He uses a non-believing king of Persia to rebuild a temple so that people can worship God. Okay, We don't have to have all of this. Our prayer should be, hey, I don't care who you put in the White House, who you put in state government, who you put where. God, I just pray that their hearts are like channels of waters in your hands that you turn and direct them wherever you wish, right? That should be our prayer for our country. That should be the prayer that we have for even our leadership here at the church or in your job or wherever else it may be. You see, it might have been difficult. It is difficult for us to imagine really how the people of Israel felt even days before this announcement, right? You've been in captivity for 70 years. And now all of a sudden, the non-believing king is issuing a decree to come back and rebuild the temple. They were a defeated people who lived in captivity in a foreign land, and it must have seemed like God had utterly abandoned them, right? You see how maybe they were probably going, I, I don't know. I-, I don't know if God even remembers us. Then suddenly, right, When Jeremiah said it would happen, the king announced that they would go home and that they would not go home empty-handed. King Cyrus was not Jewish, yet the Lord stirred up the king's heart to have mercy on the very people that his country exploited. This goes to show that God can use anyone, anywhere, at any time to bless his people. Sometimes when we're having a difficult time, God can use the most unlikely people to stir our faith in Christ, right? We're never removed from that. Wayne, since you volunteered again, would you read verses two through four? Thus says says Simon, King of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house <clears throat> at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is oh, among you know you just you're waving back. My bad, my
1: bad. Whoever is <laughs> among you of all the people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea and rebuild the house of the Lord, and the God of Israel, he is, the, he is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let that each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts besides free will, offerings for the house of God as is in Jerusalem.
0: Have you ever been too pessimistic about what you think God can do? Give me an example. What are you smirking about?
1: I'm just thinking on our own situation right now. Yeah. Just that Josh and I have continued to work for me to work with him, and now all of a sudden I'm laid off and working with Josh by... Default. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But uh, I think we still question whether...
0: You know, and it's really, it's really tempting to give in to the thought that things will never change, right? How many of us, honestly speaking, because a lot of us who doesn't have a kid, they don't have kids, but you've thought about it, I guarantee you. How many of us have thought about the state of our kids in the future, and just have no thought process that God can turn and do any work there, right? a no lie, you've probably thought, maybe not directly, like, God, you can't do this, but just by you thinking, man, I don't know what we're going to do, because our kids are going to live in a time and a day and age where it's just terrible. That that very thought is the thought that God can't turn any of this, right? Josh, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think about that a lot, with just, just the way we're headed in the country, we train, train, train through the bathroom. My oldest, by
1: the time she
0: gets up into high school or
1: college, you know, and going shopping with her friends, and just how it's just going to be everywhere, and you
0: know, she's not even have uh, questions. Yeah. And I just, I just, I just things are seemingly getting worse and worse as the day goes on. It's just one news article after the next. It's those sorts of things. Yet, again, I, I like to compare everything to here because this is supposed to be on my standard for truth. But these people were in captivity for 70 years. You have any 70-year-olds in here? Nope. Don't think so. Not right? Not yet. Wayne's the closest. Um, I know. I you know. know. Okay. <laughs>
1: it's because he can right. take it. He can take
0: it. We think we think that we're out of we think that we're out of, of the reach.
1: You
0: know, They're now gauging who is the oldest. Oh,
1: yeah. um, we, think,
0: we think that we are way outside the realm of what God can do. We think that we're underneath all that he can do. Yeah, here's the deal. So if we just think about this in practical terms, again, I love that we want to we analyze things, and we want to talk about stuff, and we want to say, well, logic tells me that, you know, this. Logic tells me this is going to happen. Logic tells me this is going to happen. If Trump goes in, logic tells me. If Hillary goes in, logic tells me this, that, the other. I don't operate by logic. I operate by what God can do, right? Because I, I serve a God that can do mighty, magnificent things. How do you think people felt when Paul was murdering Christians? Right? Paul, that's right, Paul was murdering, mass murdering Christians. Hunting,
1: them
0: down. hunting Christians down running through the streets. But now what do we think of Paul? He's a pretty good guy. I right? I mean, he's got to be something decent. So we sit there, we read his letters, and we go, well, I guess God's not too far removed from turning some wicked, hateful, anti-Christian person into being a dominant force for the kingdom of God. But Paul had to realize what was going on. Paul had to understand through his conversion experience, right, what he needed to be doing. And then Paul had to get after it. Paul didn't just sit there and let God work through him. Paul let God work through him, but he got after it as well, right? Okay, and so we're in this time. Wayne, were you going to say something? Uh, I'm
1: just right now uh, in the middle of the area, we're going through Judges, uh, judgment. <clears throat> and it's so easy when you read through Judges constantly constantly thinking, oh, it's just one after the other, one after the other. But you go back and you really focus on it and break it down, you start to notice yeah. the years that the Israelites, I mean, it says 20 years they were in captivity, yeah. but it doesn't talk about the slow fade up to the point they were late to captivity. Yeah. Um, it says generations that no longer knew the final judge passed away. The, the generation that knew the judge passed away, yeah. and so the next generation that no longer knew the judge is what led them into the situation that they became in and then they were in that situation for twenty years, fifty years, seventy years, where God basically was placing them in judgment until he brought along somebody to And so you gotta think about that. We look at how bad the country's getting yeah. I mean, are we at the point where where I mean where at what point are we in God's time?
0: Yeah, we have no idea. Yeah. We how many generations of parents thought this yeah, wouldn't you like to go back and talk to somebody in the early 1900s? Yeah. They're probably going, golly, the world is just going crazy. There, there's just technology coming through, and this guy's beginning. When did, the, when did, see, so yeah, this is going to show my lack of history knowledge. Let's just go with, when was the telephone? What year was the telephone? Late so, I would bet, like, the 1900s are going, I mean, this, people are going to be talking to people all over the country, and you never know what they're going to be talking about, and, like, you know, and so we have all this stuff that continues. I'd love to just have a conversation with one of them to think how they're probably going, oh, the world is just in bitter end right now. The uh, Revelation, I, I'm seeing it now, you know, this is Daniel prophecy, right? And we just have no idea because we're not on God's time, right? I mean, we're, we're not on his time, but... We're called to do more than that. So here's what happens. So Cyrus makes his decree to rebuild the temple. He's going to do this thing. Again, a non-believer receives a word from the Lord, a prophecy from Jeremiah, right, for the plans that happened. And so what do the people do? It says, then rose up the heads of fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, gold, goods, beasts, and with costly, costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus, the king, also brought the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed inside, uh, placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, the king of Persia, brought out these into the charge of uh, Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted, them, uh, who counted them out to Shezbar, the prince of Judah. And he goes through and talks about all that was there. And so, how did the people respond? They're pretty fired up, right? Like, they helped. They got after it. They got involved. They started doing these things. They started serving the Lord. They're fired up because 70 years prior to that, they've got nothing, right? The people responded with the zeal to go and rebuild the house of the Lord. However... The same God who worked in the heart of King Cyrus also worked in the heart of the people of Israel. It's it's not a different God here. The common denominator here is God is doing the work. God stirred up Cyrus. God stirred up the people, and the people acted and responded on it. You know, there's uh, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love. Why? Because God first loved us, right? I serve because God first loved me and commanded me to serve. I don't serve because of my own uh, righteousness. I don't serve because I'm a good guy. I don't do anything like that. I serve because God shows me His Word in obedience to Him, which means going and serving the Lord because He first loved me, because He died on the cross for my sins, because He did those things without me doing anything. Actually, in spite of me, He did all that. In spite of me, God drew me to Him. In spite of my wretchedness, God called me. In spite of my wickedness, God loved me and wants me and desires for me to cling to him in every way. In spite of me, on your worst day, I mean, on your absolute worst, wretched, pitiful, filthy rags day, God still loves you more than you can ever comprehend and desires for you to cling to his word, and to him. And, And so that's what the people did because of that love They clean. When God acts, he can change the course of a nation in a single day. He acted on this in the decree with Cyrus. And on a single day, it altered the course. They got back to him. They started serving and doing things for him in a single day. And we just, we forget that. It's it's like we've lost all hope and faith. You know, you, you look in the New Testament, and it says that Jesus did not do many works in areas wide. Because of their lack of faith. Because of their lack of faith, Jesus did not do many works. I never, ever want to think about my family, my wife, my kids, and think that God didn't do a mighty work in us because of my lack of faith. But Scripture says, because of their lack of faith, Jesus did not do many works. And so I sit there and I go, okay, I I don't know, call me crazy. Maybe our country is where it is because we have a lack of faithfulness in God. Maybe it's because Christians aren't doing what we're called and commanded to do. Maybe it's because Christians are just sitting back waiting on something else to happen when God's already issued the decree, right? Brother Steve issues the decree every Sunday. (laughs) If you need any more of a decree, I don't know what you need. You're in a church where the decree is issued every single Sunday. You are not void of the Word of God here at this church. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. There are churches that you could go to where you're void of the Word. But you are not void of God's decree for our lives at this church at any given point. And and so maybe it's because of our lack of faithfulness. Turn with me, fast forward to Ezra 7. So we get through. It takes 52 years for them to build the temple. And we get to Ezra 7. We go through. They're celebrating the Passover. The temple's finished. It's dedicated. We've got all this stuff going on and Ezra is sent by God to then teach the people and, and I love this verse and Ezra 7 says for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel that seems pretty simple right doesn't say get involved in all kinds of other stuff it just says hey set your heart to study the law to do it and then to teach it to others anybody ever heard that Or is this like the first time you've ever been acknowledged to anything in the book that says, study the law, do it, and teach it to others? Great commission, right? Some of Jesus' lasting words, right? Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of age. Here's the deal. How do we get back to where we need to be? Set your heart. Set your heart to study the law. Don't just sit here and talk about it. Don't say you need to do this. Don't say I want to do this. Don't do anything else. Make the decision right now to set your heart to study the Word of God. Stop making excuses. Stop putting everything in front of you that says I can't do this and set your heart to study the law. I'm fired up. Here you go. Do it. Set your heart to study it and then it's it's a fascinating concept. Do it. Do the Word of God. What would you say back? Do it. do it. Do what it says. Wayne, it says love your neighbor. What do you think that means? Oh, love your neighbor. I mean, it's, it's our... It, you, so where did you get your seminary background? Oh, whoa. You mean, you know that that says do love your neighbor, and it says love your neighbor, and you've never studied Greek or Hebrew? That's ridiculous. How did you do that? Study it and do it. this It's not hard. Pick up your cross daily. Follow me. Pray. Read the Bible. Live it out. Set your heart to study the Word of God and then just do it. When it says pray, pray. When it says love your neighbor, love your neighbor. When it says don't gossip, don't gossip. When it says be a good steward of your things, be a good steward of your things. When it says share the gospel, share the gospel. When it says pray for the nations, pray for the nations. Set your heart to do it, to study it, and then just do it. Then what? Teach it. That's what Ezra did, right? He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach the statutes. All these fools we got in Memphis, all these lost people, they're driving me crazy, crime's high, all this other kind of stuff. Sweet, when's the last time you reached out to any of them to teach them the word of God? Oh, well, I don't, I don't do that, huh? You can't teach it until you do it yourself. Right. You can't do it yourself until you set your heart on doing it. Right? We're in a, a big backwards cycle here. Right? But on the flip side, a lot of us know enough of it and can do it to then go and teach it. Right? I don't have to be a seminary grad to teach the Word of God. It's pretty simple. You teach them to read. You teach them to pray. You teach them to do the Word. Right? Just go out. Find somebody that you know more than. Wayne, you've read Genesis. Find somebody that hasn't read Genesis. I'm just kidding. I'm really picking on you today. I apologize, Wayne. Just do it, right? This is what Ezra did. Ezra set his heart to study it. He did it, and then he taught others to do the same. You're not lack of hearing that either. It's called discipleship. It's called disciple making. It's stuff that Brother Steve talks about every day. Right, We have more, more than ample opportunities to study the Word, hear the Word, and find out how to live it out with all of the different things we have here at the church. Nobody is void of any of this. What we're void of is setting our heart to do it. We're void of setting our heart to do it. Now flip to Ezra 10 because this is one of my favorite parts. So Ezra comes, man, he's like, he's game changer, right? And he's not doing anything spectacular. He's just setting his heart to do it. He's studying it. He's doing it. And then he's teaching it. Right? And so Ezra Ezra seven ten comes and says, he's telling the people here in in chapter 10 to confess their sin. Now, this is dealing with intermarriage. They intermarried people that they weren't supposed to. It's uh, an old law and all these sort of certain things. But he's speaking with that specifically. But the principle here is pretty easy. Now then, confession, uh, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the Lamb. Okay, so I have three astronomical difficult things. I took many years of seminary to do this. One, he tells people to what? Confess. Okay, confess. Do we all know what a sin is? Confess. Just confess to the Lord, okay? Has God ever not forgiven you of your sin, by the way? But sometimes, in some reason, we're like afraid to confess to him almost like he doesn't know that we did it. We're, we're kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know. He might think differently. I mean, I mean like he, he was literally watching you as you did it. Like, right? Y'all are laughing because you understand. Like, you ever feel foolish, like confessing something? You're like, golly, he's going to be so mad again. He saw you do it. Like, he knew you were going to do it before you did it. Yet we're like, oh, I don't want to confess. That's it. He may think differently of me. He already knows your filthy rags. He says it trying to get out of
1: confessing because you're like, "Oh, he already."
0: Oh, he already it. knows, <laughs> right? Absolutely, I've been there, done that. You know, a lot
1: of people are not so much afraid of what God will think; but they're afraid of what if it becomes when it goes public. What other people yeah. going to think?
0: You know what the Bible says? Your sin will find you out. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know where, but it says your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. You might as well get somebody to help you walk through it, then try to keep it under wraps. Because it's going to find you out, and the longer we do that, the worse it gets, right? You ever been in an argument with your wife? Kept something under wraps, right? Men, you just, I won't talk about it. I won't talk about it. I won't talk about it. Finally, I talk about it. What happens? Boom! I mean, it's like a bomb went off, right? We're talking about everything now. We brought up things that have happened in the past four or five weeks, things that I think might happen, things are going to happen, because I kept it under wraps, and then it got found out what my real feelings were. Everybody's laughing, so apparently I'm not the only one that does that. Right? So, yes, it will find you out. Yes, we are scared when we do those things. The thing is, but
1: you're also much better off if you go ahead and confess and all the of a than Let it be found
0: out. So, he says confess to the Lord your God, then repent. Right? That's part of it. But you got to confess. There is a difference, though, in just confessing. We can't just let God know that we did it. Right? Just letting God know that we did it, it's kind of like an oxymoron because he already knows that we did it. But yeah, you've got to repent. What does repent mean? Turn away from. It. Right? It, it means, Steve does it all the time, it means I'm going this way with this sin, whatever it is. Don't think of this in just terms of your salvation. We have to continually repent to the Lord for the continual sin that is in our lives. I'm going this way, whatever it is, and I turn and go away from it. I can't just confess and keep doing. That's not repentance. Confessing means I stop doing it. I mean, confessing, uh, repenting means I stop doing it and move away. Does it mean I'll go back? Probably, right? Doesn't mean I'm never going to do anything like that again, but it means that for that time period, I am trying not to do this. I may fall, but then guess what I need to do again? Confess and repent, okay? <clears throat> then the last thing Ezra says live out God's word and separate yourselves. Live out God's word and separate yourselves. If your friends or family would categorize you as anybody else that's walking, that's a nominal, apathetic Christian or maybe even a lost person, you probably haven't separated yourselves for God's glory, right? We all come here and we have our... Bible fellowship, we do all these sorts of things. But when I want to gauge if someone's really walking with the Lord, if it's a guy, first thing I'm probably going to do is ask their wife. Right? Wives, because you're really good at telling the truth about us. Lacey's nodding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't asked Lacey anything like that today. Um, Right? Our wives, our closest people, our family, our friends, maybe our coworkers, Hey, I, oh, I'm good with my wife. I'm good with my church friends. What do my coworkers think? Do they know that I love the Lord? Here's a good question for you: If none of your coworkers would answer to me, Brother Steve, or anybody else that you love the Lord, you probably really got to question whether or not you're separating yourselves and living it out, right? It's just a, you know, oh well, I just, I man, I just go and I just do my deal. I'm just going to work. That's not that I'm not supposed to be doing all that stuff there. Oh, you're, oh, you're right. God says that when you're at work, you're not supposed to live according to his word and follow him and all these sorts of things. You do that only when you're at home and when you're at church on Sundays. No, that's a lie. We know this. We're supposed to do it always. In what? Everything that you do, give glory to God. Give all glory to God. That means work. That means friendships. That means working out. That means playing ball. Steph Curry. Um, That means... I'm kidding. Uh, Don't get me started. Um, All of those things... We're supposed to be separating ourselves from the world and not looking like the world by what? Living out God's word. Because why? We have set our heart to it. We've studied it. We've done it. And then we're living it out. Teaching others. Right? This is hard, hard stuff. And the church here has never talked about anything like this. I know. Ever. That's a lie. Our whole mission and vision and everything for Bellevue is specifically founded on all of these sorts of principles, right? So our values, what we value here at the church, they're on the back of that wall. If you ever walk by, you've probably lost what they actually mean. Intimacy with Jesus. Everything we do, we do because we value, number one, first and foremost, intimacy with Jesus, okay? Number two is biblical truth. We're standing on God's word, Not the world, not anybody else, not logic, not Brother Steve, not anybody else. We're standing on God's Word, okay? Intentional hospitality. We're going to show others the love of Christ, no matter who they are, when they walk in the store. We're going to provide ministry excellence. We're going to try to reflect the character of God in everything that we do. Here's another thing. Would you be classified as ministry excellent in your job by your coworkers? Do you reflect the character of God in your job on a regular basis? Or would people say you probably play on Facebook too much? Or that you're on Instagram a whole lot? Or that you're causing dissension amongst everybody else? Or that you're lazy? Or that you don't really finish the work that you do? I don't want anybody ever to go, eh, that Chris, I don't know if I want him on the team over here because I've seen some work for him and and he's not doing it. I want them to go, why does that guy strive for excellence in everything he does? And I want to be able to say what? Because I'm trying to reflect the character of God. I don't know about you, but I serve a perfect God. Now, am I going to hit it? Absolutely not. Am I going to fail? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean I don't strive for it. That doesn't mean that I don't strive for excellence in everything I do, not for my glory but for God's glory because I want to reflect the character of God in everything that I do. And then the last thing, city renewal. We love this city. So when we go around talking bad about this city, I want to say one thing. Go find another city. If you don't like where God has you, it's one of two things. You're either living outside of God's will or you're not comfortable accepting where God has you. There's never never anything else with it. You're either outside of God's will in the location that you are or you think you can do better than God. Right? Again, we we put way too much into this. We we just go, well, maybe this and maybe... No, there's two things. If you're in Memphis, you're either inside of God's will or outside of God's will or you think you can do a better job than God yourself. No ifs, hands, or buts about it. You've got to figure that out. So that leads to our mission statement, which is—that was terrible. Which is? Okay, so this isn't like Bellevue didn't create this. This is called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. It's Scripture, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and strength. What's the next one? Love your as yourself. Wow, love God, love people, share Jesus. Anybody ever heard of that? Right? Great great commission. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth was given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of age. This isn't unique. Any church in America and the world could have that. Right? But now here's the deal. <clears throat> all of this is to be a catalyst for spiritual awakening in Memphis and beyond. Right? But... What we do typically is rely on somebody else's walk with the Lord. We rely on somebody else's witness. We rely on what the church is going to do. But what is this all centered around? (laughs) Me. None of this issues that we have with transgender and everything else is going to just magically happen. It's got to start with who living it out? Me. It's got to start with me living it out day in and day out. It's got to start with me setting my heart to study the law, to then what? Do it. And then what? Teach it. If I'm not doing those things, then do I really care about the state of our country? Do I really care about what's going to happen in restrooms and schools and all these other sorts of things? No, I'm just a complainer, hoping that everything else takes care of itself. In in my personal experience, we've got way too many complainers and not enough doers. We need a lot more doers than we need complainers. We just need to stop the talk, stop the whining, stop the complaining, and start setting our hearts to study the word, to do it, and to teach others to do the same. Uh, So your application and drive home, these are some deeper questions. I'll email them out this week. Ezra 1 describes how God's faithfulness presented the people with an opportunity to serve Him. His faithfulness wasn't just to sit back and do this, but it was an opportunity for them to what? Like we read in 5 through 11, they got up, and they served Him. With what attitude should we respond to God-given opportunities to serve Him? Because let's be honest, when we get opportunities or hear those, we go, Ah, oh, here we go, another opportunity. We got need servants, volunteers. Oh, Ken, mm-hmm. would you be quiet about the BBS workers? Stop asking, right? That's what we hear. That's what our mind does. I know. I'm there. I tell him all the time. What is one opportunity God has given you to serve him at this time in your life? What next step do you need to take in obedience? It's not just about identifying where it is, but what is your next step to obedience there? And then last, God had not forgotten his people. It was a fact that gave them great strength. They knew he was there after the decree. Why do you need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God today? Maybe it is in the job. Maybe it is similar situations to uh, adoption. Maybe it is in marriage. Maybe it is wherever else. Why do you need to do it? And how can we be praying for you to clean? Now, because here's the deal. Guess what? When you identify those areas, one of the best things you need to do is what? Have an accountability partner. Tell somebody about it. Otherwise, you're just riding solo on this journey, right? I'm not here to ride solo. Right? And I'm gonna say one more thing. A lot of us want our kids, and some Katie in here, a lot of us want our kids to, to do all this. You know on average how many hours a year our kids are getting any type of instruction here from the church? Now don't don't think of 52 weeks, because I don't know I'm not here 52 weeks. I get two Sundays off. You better believe I'm taking them. I'll edit that out. No, <laughs> the average church attender is less than 50%, right? So the average church attender comes to church less than 50%. So on average, with involvement in all these sorts of things, kids in our Sunday schools and all this great ministry, kids are one of the best in the country. Your kids are only here less than 40 hours a week, uh, 40 hours a year, a year your kids getting instruction from church less than 40 hours a year, okay? They're with you over 3,000. You know the best way to train up a child? You know the best curriculum, the best thing that you can do for a kid to train up a child the way they should go? Teach their parents to love Jesus more. Because when they see mom and dad loving Jesus, what do you think they want to do? Who do you think my kid's favorite college football team is? (laughs) <laughs> that will never happen.
1: <laughs> right?
0: No, no doubt about it, right? My kids, what's their favorite color? Do you think I just like ingrained that in their heads?
1: No. <laughs> I've got my wife
0: in here to attest to it. But you know what they see dad doing? Watching the games, keeping up with it, talking to other people about it. So who do they love? Who do you think their favorite baseball team is?
1: Right
0: now ours. <laughs> Cubs. Praise the Lord this year. Do you, do you think, like, from the time they were one, I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. This is the starting lineup of the Cubs. Here's a 1985 roster. Here's this ball. No. Why do you think they like the Cubs? Dad likes the Cubs. To train up a child in the way they should go, the best thing you can do is teach your mom and dad to love Jesus more. Set your hearts to study the Word of God, do the Word of God, and then teach others to do the Word of God. It is not rocket science. We've just got to get after it and stop making every excuse in the world to not do it. Josh, we pray
1: first.